This is Parsha three of Parsha's Shemot. This is the beginning of a new book, Book of Exodus. And we are deep into the story. The Jews are being oppressed. Um, Moshe has been born, and we're about to hear what happens when he starts growing up. He, by Yami Mahaim, so this is chapter 2, verse 11, it was in those days. Vayigdal Moshe. Moshe grew up, became Gadol. He went out to his brethren. And he saw their burdens. He took note, directed his eyes and his heart to be distressed over them, Rashi says. And of course, it's to Moshe's great credit that even though he's a prince in the palace, he doesn't forget where he comes from. And he goes to see what's happening with his brothers. He notices that there is an Egyptian man who is striking a Hebrew man, one of Moshe's brothers. Rashi comments on the word Vayigdal Moshe, that Moshe grew up and asks, doesn't the Torah already say that the child grew up earlier? And so Rabbi Yehuda, the son of Rabbi Eli, said that the first time it mentions that Moshe grew up, that's talking about physical growth and heights. And the second time it mentions it is talking not about something physical, but about in greatness because Pharaoh had appointed him over, over his house. So he was already a, not just the prince, he was a big macher. And yet, what does he do? He goes and sees what's happening with his brothers who are suffering. Ish Mitzri. Rashi comments. Egyptian. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Who was this Egyptian man? Not Stam, not just a regular Egyptian man. He was a taskmaster who was appointed over the Israelite officers, and he would wake them when the rooster crowed to call them to their work. Why was he hitting this particular man? Says Rashi, he was lashing him and driving him. And this who was this man, says Rashi? This was the husband of a woman, a Jewish woman named Shlomit Bas Divri, the daughter of Divri. And this Egyptian taskmaster laid his eyes upon this woman. And at night, he caused her husband to go outside. And he went inside and had relations with his wife, who thought that this was her husband. And in fact, it was this Egyptian taskmaster. The man went back into his house and realized what happened. And some of the Egyptians saw him the next day and realized that he knew what happened. He was beating him the entire day. This is from the Midrash. Verse 12. So he turned this way and that way. Moses did. Which you would assume means that he looked to see if anybody was watching. She saw that there was no man. So he strikes the Egyptian and hides him in the sand. But Rashi gives a second interpretation to this idea that he looked here and there. Rashi says, 
that Moshe was able to see what he what this Egyptian taskmaster did to the Jew in his house, in the Jew's house, and what he was doing to him in the field by beating him. That's what it means. He looked here and he looked there. Literally, he turned here and he and he turned there. He saw that there was no man descended from this Egyptian who would become a proselyte. Verse 13, and he goes out the second day. One day's work is done. He killed an Egyptian. That was quick. He goes out the next day. Let's see what happens today. Now there's two Jews fighting among themselves, arguing. He says to the wicked one, Why are you going to strike your friend, your fellow? Who were these two? Rashi tells us this is Dasan Vaviram. They will be the troublemakers, a thorn in the side of Moses, till they get swallowed up by the earth in Parshish Korach. They are the ones who leave over from the man. When Moshe had commanded, you're not allowed to leave over for the man. Whatever you have, you eat. They said, no, we're going to try and do things differently. They left over for the man. Needs him, they were arguing. So he says to him, why are you going to hit? But he says, he calls him a Russia, a wicked person. Why? He didn't hit him yet. Says Rashi that just by raising your hand to strike your fellow, that is already called a wicked person. Even if he didn't actually hit him yet. A wicked man like you, your fellow, meaning a wicked man like you. So the man says to Moshe, who appointed you a master over here for Asar to be a, a prince and a judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? So Moshe was afraid, and he said, Oh boy, indeed the matter has become known. Says Rashi, who, they said to Moshe, who made you into a man? You're still a youth. You're still a kid. Are you going to kill me? Now in the Hebrew it says, do you say that you will kill me? What does saying have to do with intention? Says Rashi, that the way that Moshe killed the Egyptian was by pronouncing a name of God, and this magically killed the Egyptian. So now these two Jews who saw what happened to the Egyptian, they say, Are you going to kill me by speaking in the same way that you killed the Egyptian? So Moshe was afraid. Why was he afraid? The simple meaning is he was afraid because now he's in trouble. But Rashi gives a medrash and says, Dog He was afraid because now he sees that there are among the Jews people who are informers, who speak Lashon If this, these types of people are among the Jews, maybe they're not fit to be redeemed. Next Rashi, behold, indeed, the thing has become known. That's the simple meaning, but there's a Midrash. A Midrash says, now I know something that I didn't know before. 
now the matter has become known to me. The thing that I was wondering about, what was the sin of the Jewish people from all the 70 nations that they are being punished in this way? But now I see that they deserve it based on the way this guy is behaving. Verse 15, Paro heard about this. And he sought to kill Moses. So Moshe runs away from Paro. And he dwells in the land of Midian. He sits up, down by a well. Yishma Pare, how did Pare hear about it? In fact, they did, these Dasa Navirim, they informed on Moshe. These are not good people. He tried to kill Moshe. Says Rashi, he delivered him to the executioner to execute him. But the sword had no power over him. And that's when Moshe will later say, that God saved me. When he called the second son, Eliezer. The God of my father was at my assistance. He saved me from the sword of Paro because that sword was coming after him and only miraculously was he protected. Why did he hang out at the, at the well? Was he just thirsty? Was he looking for a job? No, says Rashi. He learned from Yaakov who found his shidduch. He found his mate. At the well, that's where you found Rachel. So it was an old family tradition. Verse 16, The chief of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water. They filled the troughs to water their father's flocks. Um, Yisro, we're talking about Yisro here. Um, he was the most prominent among them. He had abandoned idolatry, and therefore they banned him from living with them. And as we'll see, they were not nice to his daughters. Verse 17, the shepherds came and chased away Yisro's daughters. Why, as Rashi says, because of the ban. Moshe arose and saved them, rescued them. He watered their flocks. So this is the third intervention that Moshe engages in from when we start hearing about his career. The Egyptian man he kills, the two Jews fighting, he gets involved with that. And now, when the shepherds are not allowing the daughters of, of Yisro to do what they need to do, Moshe arises and so he sees a man of, of justice, somebody who, who looks out and takes action when he sees an injustice being committed. Verse 18, so they come to Ru'el, their father. And he says, Why did you come home so fast today? So they answer, and they say, there was an Egyptian man who saved us from the hands of the shepherds. And he also drew water for us and watered the flocks. 
Now it's called Reuel over here. They came to their father Reuel. So according to one interpretation in Rashi, that means Yisro and Yisro had different names, a bunch of different names because of tax purposes. So Reuel was one of those names. And another interpretation is that Reuel was in fact the grandfather. And when it says father, you also can call a grandfather a father. So he says to his daughters, where is he? Why did you abandon this man? Call him and let him eat bread. And we've already seen that bread is a euphemism for marriage. So when he says, call him and I'll eat bread, what he really meant was, perhaps he will marry one of you. I got seven daughters over here. At least he can marry one of you. Now, Lama Zazaftan, he says, why have you left the man? Why did you bound him? Yisra realized that this is somebody special. He realized that this man is a descendant of Jacob, the great Jacob, for whom the water rises. Now, you may be wondering, how does Yisra know about Yaakov? Well, there's a medrash that says that Yisra actually was one of the advisors of Pharaoh. Yisra had three advisors. Yisra, I'm sorry, uh, Power had three advisors. Yisra, Bilam, and Eov. Eov. Thank you, Eric. So, um, Bilam obviously gave him very evil advice. And Yisra, of course, did not. But Yisra uh, moved because of that. But he knew what was going on. So he knew the story of Yaakov. And he recognized that this must be a descendant of Yaakov. As we've learned in Rashi in the past, that when Yaakov came to Egypt, the seven-year famine was cut short, and after two years it ended. And he had blessed the Pharaoh, that when the Pharaoh would come to the Nile, the, the water would, would rise and would, and would uh, irrigate the land. Verse 21, So Moshe agreed to stay with the man, with Yisro, and Yisro gave his daughter Tzipporah to Moshe. Mazel Tov! Another wedding going on in this parsha. The remarriage of Amram and Yecheved, and the marriage of Moshe and Tzipporah. Rashi says, there's an interesting word here for, and he consented to stay with the man, by Yoel Moshe, which has also the connotation of an oath, an Allah. An Allah is, a, is, a, is, a, is an oath. Says Rashi from the Medrash that he, he made him swear that he would not move from Midian without Yisro's consent. And we see even after um, Moshe gets the call from God to go to Egypt and save the Jewish people, he has to get permission from Yisro to go. Verse 22, don't mess with the in-laws. 22, so she bore a son. And he called the child's name Gershom, saying, Ger I was a Ger, which is a stranger, a foreigner. Shom, there in a, in a foreign land. Verse 23, It was in those many days. The king of Egypt dies. 
the Jewish people sighed from their labor and cried out. What does it have to do with the death of the king of Egypt? We'll see. And their cry ascended to God from the labor. Says Rashi, what does he mean in those many days? That means that Moshe was sojourning in Midian. That's when the king of Egypt died. And the Jewish people needed a salvation. And Moshe was pastoring. And the salvation came through him. Therefore, these sections were juxtaposed. The section dealing with the kings of Egypt's affliction and that dealing with Moshe's pasturing the flocks. The king of Egypt died, says Rashi. Actually, that means he was stricken with tzaras, with a type of skin disease. And that's equivalent to death. He was slaughtering Israelite infants and bathing in their blood. And so that explains why the death of the king of Egypt leads to the Jews crying out more. You would think if the king dies... That would lead to maybe a lessening in their in their work, but why would it make it worse? So Rashi explains, based on the Medrash, that what 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 happened. Now, there is another interpretation, probably many interpretations, but one of them is that, in fact, there was a lessening in the work when when the king dies, and it's because of that lessening that they're able to call out. In other words, with the oppression was so strong that they couldn't even cry. When they finally were able to breathe, they cry out. I forget which, is what I, uh, which is what I thought. Ye'anach. Ye'anach usually it's, uh, it's, it's when, you, when it's uh, relaxing from something, right? Right. Uh, so that's, you would wonder why would they cry when they relax from something. Inucha. Yeah. But, um, but anacha is is a cry, is a cry, yeah. So that's how they're translating it. Okay. You see, on Shabbat, there's no yagon va'anacha. Mm-hmm. Verse 24, God heard their cry. So God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So here again, you see this S Avraham with Abraham. You see the word S can be, can be, can be interpreted as with God saw the Jewish people, and God knew. And this is, of course, reminiscent of the beginning of the parsha, today's Parsha, where it talks about Moshe seeing the Jewish people and taking, um, taking the effort to, to really feel what they're going through. And at the end of the parsha, you see God doing the same thing. It was time for them to be redeemed. So that is today's parsha. Nice and neat. A lot going on. And we'll open it up to questions and comments. I have a question. What was, what was Moshe's relationship with Hashem previous to the burning bush experience and in getting his marching orders? Excellent question. I don't know of any um, interaction that he had before this. Because it was, <clears throat> I think it's interesting. Maybe I heard it on a different podcast. He looks left looks right because somebody who's 
got pure faith in God is not doesn't care what a human thinks of him. You know, he's looking left to see, oh, I don't want anybody to catch me. I don't, and and that's kind of how it reads is that that he's 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 kind of looking into the inward into this man's soul and sees that there's not going to be a convert and why is that even important to him right so i think that definitely moshe is a very 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 well connected spiritually because as rashi himself said he kills the egyptian by uttering a name of god so i've tried that many times didn't work <laughs> Well, I was thinking that when the question was asked, because I was wondering how, how much, how deeply did Moses know what kind of prophet he would be, what kind of great prophet he would be? Did he know what his, what his, uh, you know, what his, his, his uh, goal was going to be, what his, what his uh, you know, meaning in life was to carry out the, the word of God as, as the prophet of the, of the Jewish people? It's a great question. I think that, you know, he was the descendant, he was the child of the leader of the generation. So he wasn't just another Jewish kid. His father, Amram, was the leader. We read a little bit about him yesterday. The Medrash elaborates that when Amram decided not to have children anymore because of what would happen to the children, all the Jews followed suit because he was a leader. And so when he was convinced by his daughter Miriam that that was a mistake and that he should continue procreating, he made a big deal out of it so that everyone would see what he was doing and um, that he was, that he had, I think it says that he took uh, his wife, Yochebed, in the street, you know, like kind of, a, you know, a chuppah in the street or something like that so that everyone would see what, ha what was happening and they would follow suit. So Amram was a leader of his generation. And he, of course, is um, Amram ben Yitzhar, ben Kahas, ben Levi. So he is the, um, the great-grandchild of Levi. Amram is a great-grandchild of Levi. And a Levi, of course, is the spiritual leader of the Jewish people. You know, their, their tribe did not get involved in the, in the enslavement. They were like the priestly class. They never got involved in it, and so they they stayed free of that, and they were completely focused on Torah study. And so, yeah, he comes from the from the priestly tribe, that and and the leader of that tribe. In fact, when when God does tell him, you know, you're going to be the you're going to be the one to take the Jewish people out of Egypt, Moshe says it should be my brother Aharon, his older brother. We do see that Aaron did have prophecy in Egypt, even before that. And so I don't think the whole thing was so foreign to him. So Matt, to your point, and, and Bill, um, did he have communication with God before that? Maybe not. Maybe not in this type of prophecy where God is literally you know, talking to him. Um, it sounds like God is introducing himself to him for the first time, for the way it reads. But certainly he was... You know, he had learned a lot about his history and was quite the Kabbalist if he was able to kill somebody with uttering the name of God and able to see into the future, <laughs> right, into what would be with this, this guy. Um, 
yet when God chose him, when God said, you're the one to go to the Pharaoh and tell him to let these let our people go, he doubted that, right? He said, not me, I can't even speak to him. How am I going right. to Right, right. That's a great, great passage. I think we get to it tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That's because of his, of, his, of his humility. He was at, with all of this strength that he's showing and fearlessness that he shows, he was really the ultimate in humility. The Torah itself attests to that. So there, there's no He was the most humble person on the face of the earth. So his humility was such that it was impossible. It was nearly impossible for him to accept what God was saying that he should be the, the, the leader. That was his humility. Why should, why should it be me? It should be Aaron. Didn't he have a t-shirt that said, you know, most humble guy on the face of the earth? <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. I have another possible connection. The fact that Moses is a, a Levite, I I do remember that the Levite and um, Levi and Shimon kind of had a little violent streak in them <laughs> because of their brotherly love. Right. You know, they were so, you know, protectors of the Jewish people. Right. You're muted. We lost you, Matt. Matt we, lost, we lost the sound. You, you muted yourself, Matt. Yeah, I'll, I'll finish what Matt was saying, is that Shimon and Levi wiped out an entire town of Shechem because they messed, quote-unquote, with their sister. So they were quite zealous. I saw something very interesting on that note. Um, so you're saying that Moshe may have inherited some of that Levite uh, zealousness where he kills the Egyptian and he's um, he's zealous. I get that. That's a good, great point. Um, it's interesting that when, Moshe, when, when Yaakov... Um, does his last will and testament with the 12 tribes, the first three just get rebuke, right? Reuven gets his rebuke. He was impulsive. And Shimon and Levi, whoop, see what he says about them, that they're, you know, there's violence and he curses their anger. And he says that he's going to scatter them among the Jewish people. Achalkim biyakoiv afitzim biyisrael. So, you know, because because they're dangerous, so they've got to be split up. And I saw an interesting interpretation from the uncle of Rabbi Yosef Karo, Rabbi Yitzchak Karo. Rabbi Yosef Karo was the author of Shulchan Aruch back in the 1500s. So we're going back 1400s, 1500s, and he says that Shimon and Levi had something that was good, but they had too much of it, and the rest of the tribes. We're missing it. So that's what he means that he's, he spread them out among the other tribes is they need to lessen this a little bit or a lot, but the rest of the tribes, they need to pick up a little bit of this zealousness. And that's going to be, that's going to be a good mix. I'll leave you with one more thought before I go. Um, I thought I, I, it occurred to me a couple of years ago, reading that verse that he looked here and there. And he saw that there was no man. 
right? So I wonder, why does it say he turned and not he looked? He turned. Why not say uh, he looked? How would you say it in Hebrew? Um, he lifted his eyes this way and that way. But Vayifin literally is he turned. So I thought perhaps that he turned to go. That he didn't want to do it. Vayifin koi, he turned her and he would have good reason not to do it. Right? Because if he kills this Egyptian, he's going to have to run away, as which is what happened in the end. And the Rebbe actually talked about this and he said, you know, strategically, maybe he shouldn't have killed him. Because if he waits, if he bides his time, he could eventually, you know, become the king of Egypt and free the Jews. Instead, he's just protecting one Jew and ruining his chance to perhaps save all the Jews. Of course, he did the right thing. And the Rebbe talks about that and says, you can't make these kind of chesh You can't make these calculations. You see a Jew being beaten, do what you have to do. Let God worry about the rest because it's a slippery slope of, of not doing the right thing because you know what? It might be better if I wait and this and that. The, the road paves with good intentions, you know? But on the other hand, you could say he turned this way and that way. If you want to interpret it, you know, with, with, our, with our own struggles, when we come to a situation where we need to do something, we turn one way and we turn the other way to, to get away. I don't want to do this. Can I get out of it this way? Can I get out of it that way? And then he says, Vayar he saw that there was no man. He saw that if he turned away, this is my interpretation, if he turned away, then he is not a man. Vayar that this path of turning this way and turning that way, Anish, that's not what a man does. Maybe there's one more interpretation that he was looking for another person to take it, uh, to take that job. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then he saw there's no other no other person to take that job. Uh, might be, yeah, I have to take it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It says in Pirkei Avot, the makom she'ein ish, hishtadel liotish. Where there is no man, strive to be that man. So that's a great interpretation. He looked around, he says, ki ain't ish, there's nobody else who's going to do this. I have to do it. So that's the lesson for today's parsha. That's the lesson. We're not. We shouldn't wait. Don't wait. We are. What, what was the expression? We are the ones we've been waiting for. We're not waiters. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, gentlemen. This has been another wonderful parsha, and hopefully, we'll meet up again tomorrow night, same time, same place, same parsha. Yashukayach. 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 Laila Tov. Laila Tov. Have a great night.